back themselves after our guys put a beat down on them earlier this year. And Golden State. Right to the hole. He ties the game at 98. has got 20 to lead the way for the Spurs. Got to make him make that chop at the outside. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Grant, what's good? And we return with another edition of Nick's Tape. No, just kidding. We return with another edition of Views from the Clutch. As always, we'd like to take a moment out to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. If you would like to join us, you could do so by following us on any of the podcasting platforms that we are hosted on, which is all of them, Spotify, and everything about that. You could also reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. You can tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And just like that, we're back. I think when we last left, what, the Knicks had won four in a row? Mm-hmm. Double up. And now they're at eight in a row, approaching a possible ninth win. Some of these games have been very, very exciting to absorb. Um, C. Grant is our resident New York Knicks expert. He is currently monitoring the game. What I see now on my side, from what I can see from ESPN scoreboard, the Knicks are up 77-75 with four minutes to go in the third quarter. Is that accurate? Yeah, they just um, they just went to a break, so it's not actually right now. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty much 74-75. Reviewing right now is uh, a foul on Jalen Brunson because it looked like F- Fred Van Vliet um, kicked his foot out on the three-point shot, mm. so they're gonna have to uh, look. But it's a uh, an interesting game because you got the Raptors who lost. What did they lost six in a row? Yeah, they lost six in a row, and the the Knicks have won eight in a row. But the Raptors, as we can tell, they're still a scrappy team. So it's one of those situations, though, where um, you get the Knicks. It, it, you got to win because you want to keep want to ruin Toronto's season because there's rumors that the rumors just piling up that hey, you know, Toronto might be looking to make some moves. Teams have been about some of the pieces they have. So let the Raptors start winning again. Then the Raptors will feel like yo, you know what, we can keep what we got. You know, we can make a run. But if my biggest thing is you punish these teams when you got the opportunity to. So that nobody, they don't get a chance, you know. Because again, like a team like the Raptors, it's the third quarter right now, and Siakam's already got thirty-one. You know, he's only he's only missed. I mean, he missed six shots. He's thirteen. Uh, Fred VanVleet got eighteen. OG, OG, who's a who's who's a who's definitely a talked about asset, has uh, he has thirteen. He has thirteen points. So, you know, they got some players that – some pieces that, again, if the season turns around for them, people are going to be interested in – they're going to – but if this season doesn't – you know, they start continue to keep losing, that's a lot of contracts that they got to figure out. If they, they can't – nothing with them, you know. 
interesting. Um, I definitely see your point. I think that we alluded to that on the last podcast when we spoke about teams either pursuing the playoffs or punting. And I think we both kind of were like, maybe Toronto might want to punt just for the mm-hmm. sake of, you know, maybe corralling another draft pick because their their struggle lies in the fact that they don't have legitimate bigs. You've got Siakam starting at the five. And that's no knock on Siakam and what he brings to the table and the type of player that he is. Because he's super talented. He's a hybrid forward in an era of nothing but hybrid forwards. But it all boils down to the same tried and true thing. You need to be able to secure the paint. You need to be able to ensure that there's somebody who can be a deterrent at the rim or be able to solidify closing a possession out by getting a rebound. And when you have a team built the way Toronto is, where you have essentially three guys who all play the same position on your front line. So Scotty mm-hmm. Barnes is what, six seven, six eight, but mm-hmm. he's got like a seven foot three wingspan. So he plays bigger because he got, you know, more more range of motion. He can he he can corral and then you've got OG Ananobi who's a hybrid three four who's another six seven, six eight ish guy. And then you uh-huh. got Siakam who's six eight and a half, six nine and that comprises your front line. And then to compound the matter, your 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 point guard is Fred Van Vliet who is barely six feet. Yeah. So you don't have that like random freak of nature perimeter rebounder like a Russell Westbrook who can kind of like shore up or assist the shoring up your rebounds. So I don't know if it's actually affecting them at a level statistically. Like maybe let me go retrieve that and see. Oh, they let me are tell you who the, team who, leaders in rebounds. Okay. But let me tell you who started for them, which is a very, very lineup. They had they Ananobly at the uh, at the small forward. You had Siakam as your power forward. Then you had um, Scotty Barnes. Hermes. No, no, no. They had Hermes. Um, Hernan Gomez. Yeah, at the five. They had Scotty Barnes at, with Siakam at. I mean, with uh, Fred Van Fleet at the uh, point guard. So that's a that's a team. Yeah, that that looks. It, to me, it looks like oh, that's a team you trying you trying things now because I don't know if I think Gary Trent's out hurt, uh, but also you're really trying things because that's not a starting lineup that you say everybody's the same height like you said except for Van Vliet, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The two guard who's Barnes tonight all the way to your center, they're all about the same height. So you you if you're not clicking and pulling. You're stuck because the guy Barnes is not used to being a two, so he's kind of caught out of position in a sense. And he's at, at this stage, Siakam's the man on the team, so he's got to defer. And again, with with Siakam got, already got thirty four points, stat sheet Barnes is one for ten, and he only got two points, so he's not even able to get really to see how his um. Obviously, one for ten is not good, but sometimes you you know you have a, a good shot selection and you just miss it, or it's you know a, ba- a bunch of bad shots you're taking because you don't have the uh, necessarily the room to uh, so, maneuver. So, guess who is the worst defensive rebounding team in the league? 
Toronto. Yep. They are the lowest defensive rebounding team in the league at 30.5 per game. The league leader in defensive rebounding per game is Milwaukee at 37. And if you contrast the records of those two teams, you secure the ball seven more times a game. Mm. You give your team seven more opportunities. All of these things add up. Um, I don't know how to interpret all of these advanced statistics that come up on NBA.com. Like, I would probably go and get a tutorial on what contested defensive rebounding percentage means and defensive rebound chances. All of these advanced stats are things that I'm going to have to acquire First more of all, knowledge on before I feel comfortable speaking on. They're letting Siakam go off. Siakam's got eight, uh, 38 points out of 82. Well, I mean, let's be real. One guy always has to go off for a game to be close versus the Knicks. There's got to be one guy or collectively a team because of the way the Knicks play. So mm. I, I can imagine that if Siakam, based off of where you said he started, who's matching up against him? What? You putting Randall on him? No, but Is when Randall I'm watching, uh, they're, they're doing a weird, you know how the Knicks always switch everything. But mm-hmm. they're letting Siakam, the last, I'd say, six out of his last eight points, because he had, hit two, but the last six points that he scored were all drops on the top of the key. So they're letting him have, either he's bringing the ball up, one of the points, he, and he just basically just went coast. Um, the other ones, the other two, um, the other two shots was everything started for him initiated at the top of the key. So they're letting him getting to his driving lanes in order to mm. to score. So and he's right now he he has the rebound and he's bringing the ball up and he's just straight driving past whoever's defending him and he just scored another and one. So he's well, literally who's he driving yeah, past. Well, just now he just passed um, Sims, the uh, the big man for them. But again, when you're not playing any help defense and the problem with the Knicks players are. They're trying to pick him up from half court. So one move from Siakam, he's already passed him. And with the Knicks' poor rotations, they're rotating too too slow, and he's either getting the, the layup or the end one. Which just now he got an end one because the big man Sims, he did one move, got Sims on his hip, and just made made a tough layup when Sims fouled him. Well, I mean, let's let's not lower the skill respect that Siakam. Warrants. This guy won an NBA Finals. He literally was the X Factor versus, we all talk about Kawhi leading that team to the Finals, but he was the X Factor in that series versus Golden State. They really mm-hmm. had no answer for, for, for what he did consistently. And that yeah. allowed for everyone else on Toronto to flourish and, and win that title. So that's where his claim to fame and him, you know, quote unquote, blowing up and getting a bigger contract it all kind of roots back to how he performed that year in, in, in the final. So I'm not at all surprised that he continues to be a matchup problem. And his name is the one that is getting floated the most in Toronto should start to look to move assets. Everybody's talking about, Oh, well, where can, who, who can get Siakam? But, um, so he's a problem. He's, he's a problem, not just for the Knicks, but for every team that he faces. So I'm not surprised that he's given the Knicks trouble. Um, Collectively, let's hope the Knicks, as we continue this podcast, are able to, you know, sort it out and get that ninth one in a row, especially considering that I'm heading there. And if I'm able to actually board a plane that allows me to get off in JFK, 
I want to see what the New York energy is like because in my time being there, you know, I dealt with the dark days of Knicks fans. So being around New Yorkers with a team that's won nine in a row, I, I'm excited for that possibility. Shoot, I might get a cab driver or an Uber driver who, who, who cuts me a, a break because he's a Knicks fan. But if I get in that cab and y'all just lost after an eight-game win streak, I know the energy is going to be sour for me. So, yeah, go Knicks. Um, but in lieu of that and the fact that we open with the Knicks, let's go ahead and move forward to some of the current events that have been taking place across the league. Um, we did mention in our last podcast, RIP to, to, um, to Paul Silas, um, the Phoenix Suns appear to be on the precipice of transferring their ownership. And it looks like the Phoenix Suns are going to sell for $4 billion. And C. Grant, you were the one who gave me info on the uh, principal person in the purchase. Can you go ahead and give me give us the backstory on who this gentleman is? Um, at the time I did. Hold on, I have to I look. Pull him up. I pull him up. Um, I know, I know, he used to be a basketball player for the um, Michigan State Spartans. He was a um, a member his name of the. Was Matt, I think Matt, 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 Matt Ishbia, Matt Ishbia, who is, is a billionaire is, okay, mortgage lender. And he's purchasing a majority stake and is going for $4 billion. And the reason why I'm addressing that first is because that's, that's going to do a number on everyone else's value of NBA franchises. I mean, I'm not really totally familiar with the entirety. So they get... The Suns and the Mercury, I don't know if they get the stadium, if the stadium is part of it. Um, no, that part I, know, I don't know. I know that, you know, what is it? They play in the Talking Stick. That's the name of the uh, arena that they play in. He's going to okay. be acquiring more than 50% of the team. That means he's taking all of Sarver, Robert Sarver's interest, and some of the minority owners who are also stepping away. I mean, when you got a chance to sell a franchise for $4 billion, I think a lot of people, people are going to cash out. You're going to cash out and move forward to another venture. Um, it's a new day. The, the most expensive franchise purchase in NBA history prior to that was the Nets being sold for $2.35 billion in 2019. And then the Rockets were sold for $2.2 billion in 2017. And we all know that Steve Ballmer, he got the Clippers for what looks like a deal now. For two mm-hmm. billion dollars in 2014. Yeah, it's insane. Insane. I the think... Lakers had a minority share sold for a higher valuation than the Suns' four billion dollar purchase, landing a five billion valuation. So there's a minority share of the Lakers worth more than the Suns franchise. Really? This, I didn't, that's crazy. That is so. If that's the case for the Lakers, you know what it is for the Knicks. Because the Lakers and Knicks pretty much marry each other when it comes to franchise value, with the Knicks possibly being worth more. So, mm-hmm. it's up. It's up. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, up. So, even when we, we were joking uh, prior to the podcast, where certain certain teams, if the Suns can get $4 billion, oh, some, yeah. team, some teams are not even going to accept a phone call for less than $10 billion Because this... Because you're thinking Phoenix? The phone don't ring. The fo- they have a phone. The phone's, the phone's incoming filter is $6 billion and up now. Yeah, which is crazy because think about it. This dude's only able to sell his team 
because they had so many con- so much controversy going on. He's so this only dude, selling the team because of the controversy. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So, which he, I'm I'm again that we talked about this might him get being able to get four billion dollars under a controversy under some dark clouds is probably making some of his owners thinking, "Yo, what could I get?" Because the Suns. Listen, this has been a crazy year for the NBA, and we're only a third of the season through. With what some of these owners have witnessed with the Kyrie situation and, frankly, just the overall state of the NBA and the fact that, like, right now, a lot of teams feel like the Warriors are playing how the Yankees used to play. Mm -hmm. we'll We'll just keep paying the bill. Yeah. But now, you know, we'll deal with that in a little while. <laughs> I think now owners are going to have to backpedal off of that when they see that it still takes a lot of luck. I think that the Warriors run back to the title really kind of made people sour because they thought, oh, it's the rich getting rich. But they went through hell and paid for it. And now it looks like with the injury bug, is rearing his, his head again. And even before the injury bugs, the Warriors just simply weren't that good. But back to the whole value of franchises, the reason why I bring the Warriors up is because the Warriors, I got to pull up the Forbes list. I don't even want to do it because I'm pretty sure we did that in a podcast like last year. We spoke mm-hmm. about the evaluation of, I'm pretty sure the Warriors were, were in the upper billions. So oh, if, no, of course. So if the Suns are selling for $4 billion, and he's literally only getting the teams, he's getting the WNBA franchise in the, um, of course, that comes with what? their media package and all the revenue that they'll bring in from season tickets, so on and so forth. To value that overall at $4 billion, that's crazy because we both know that no NBA team generates $4 billion in revenue in a season. Yeah. The NBA might generate $4 billion in revenue in a season. Exactly. So how, so how do you project a team is worth $4 billion? Like, what is the evaluation that determines that, all right, this is the number we're going to stick with because you'll eventually earn that? Is, is that what's being insinuating? But Somehow? I don't, I don't, I don't understand that because I'm looking at the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, like maybe, maybe you know, this is one thing we don't know. We Look at all the different about. sources of revenue. Yeah, because I'm thinking that maybe there's a new TV deal or something that they're knowing, and that's what's making the value so high. Because agreed, they are on the precipice of another TV deal. They're also on the precipice of another, which is based off of. The, the the expected remember there's another expected rise in the salary cap. Yeah. So if there's an expected rise in the salary cap, that means that the, the overall revenue for the league increased. So that's the only way they can raise the salary cap is because they redistribute that that surplus back into teams being able to invest more on paying players. That's you know how the collective bargain agreement is currently working. So yeah, they probably did you know collect a nice little bounty off of those last couple TV deals they did, and they're going to have to do it. I don't know when their current one expires. I thought they were in the mid-2020s with, with, or the late 2020s with the next TV deal that they have to negotiate because so much of what they do is franchised out to, um, to Disney with the coverage that they provide through ABC and ESPN for the mm-hmm. NBA because that's their secondary, their secondary network besides TNT because, you know, TNT gets the playoffs up until the, the conference finals. Yeah, pretty much. So you see the conference finals play out on TNT, and then the finals always play out on Disney, ABC, NBC. I mean, NBC, ABC, NBC, ABC, ESPN, ABC. So with all that being said, yeah, there's money. But again, 
How quickly do you anticipate making back four billion? To say, yeah, I, I got that. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. That's what I mean. They they see it. They see some type of value in it because again, I didn't even think they were worth that much. You know, I didn't think they were worth remotely close. Yes, sir. So that's that was the biggest thing that I'm I'm looking at it like, wait, how how are they even getting this money? Because who like when I look at the Phoenix team, I don't. <laughs> CC, there you go. There you, listen, we can't do it. We can't keep doing this again. I think it's gonna get to a point where people are gonna be like, "Oh, y'all treating them like um, who's the other team we be bullying? Chicago. <laughs> we be bullying Chicago and Philly because you know we we got our. But I, I I I see where you're going. So the overall value of the talent present on the Phoenix Suns, it doesn't seem to be on par with the value of what they sold or what they're selling for. And, and I, is that what you were going for? Is that what you were implying? Like, yeah, you yeah, got a one star and Devin Booker. Y'all got a top tier center, and y'all got C, you know CP three. But that doesn't want. Yeah, but a top tier, a top tier center that doesn't want to be there, and that's that's on he's, TV. He's in the he's he. But again, but I'm just saying, like, I don't see a roster that is like we said. We we feel like it's fool's gold. So I'm gonna pay four billion dollars for a fool. Now again, this is. This is could be something. I don't know. It's, I don't want to get too. But much this is the new. But let's let, okay. So let's let's table it off like this. Do you agree that sports franchises are the new race cars for rich rich people in the world? That's their shiny new pony. Like what? How else can you show off? That's why now Americans own European soccer teams. Mm-hmm. Because well, that's yeah, because we, the, that's the value on. Yeah. It's not about the value, it's about the prestige. What, exactly. What's better than saying I own Manchester United, but I live in Dallas? I don't know what the owner of Manchester United is, but I know that he's an American or it's, it's American ownership. You get what I'm saying? I think, um, another yeah, but, team. but what I'm saying is they're looking at that also as what can make a lot of money for me with little overhead, and th- that sports teams seem to be because. If you get a sports team, teams, but, but see that's the thing, and it's been proven. Sports teams have the most overhead. Mm. Like outside of the teams that we always point to in the marquee networks being profitable just because they exist, the Knicks, the Lakers, the Cowboys, the Yankees. You know, teams of of, of that type of cloth and pedigree. Worldwide, along with nationwide, like those are those are almost standalone. They're not almost. They're they're standalone brands. So those teams mm-hmm. are bankable. Those are printing money franchises. So mm-hmm. like the Phoenix Suns, they just got through not getting to the finals, like you said. So again, this is what it's come to. Like, oh, if you want to come be in the clubhouse, you got to have four billion and better. Yeah. So I do think that. Not every franchise is going to be able to pull that. I don't want to pick a team out of a hat and say, "Nah, they definitely not going to be worth that." Because I feel like that's almost like a hate. But well, no, you didn't. Nobody thought that. I didn't think. Neither one I don't of us foresee. I don't foresee even with all of the assets that Oklahoma City has in play, they would be able to garner a four billion dollar sale. So I do think that there is something to be said about that Phoenix market that we may not be tapped into. I think when they went and looked at the books, they were able to 
get within reason. So maybe Phoenix's season ticket revenue and their regional cable deal or whatever they got going is enough to to warrant that. Because if your if your annual revenue is over two hundred million dollars, I can imagine you being sold for a price like what he paid. Because if you take that two hundred million dollars and you multiply it out over five ten years, you get close to the value that he paid. So you, that's, that's, that's typically how, you know, people project out to pay for something like that. Same thing with a house. You know what I'm saying? So you mm-hmm. go and put, put your mortgage on a house that's worth 250 grand because you go and get a loan, you wind up paying or, or owing on your mortgage somewhere between 500 to a million for it, depending on what your interest rate is. I think it's the same concept with these NBA teams. Like that interest rate is, is what leads to them saying like, all right, well, I'm giving you this franchise right now and I'm forsaking the next rest of my life because I'm never going to make another dollar off this team because I'm giving it to you. So that future evaluation is worth $4 billion. And that's crazy because it, it makes you wonder how much did Robert Sarver make off of the Suns? Well, they said he paid, Dave said, well, 20 years ago, he bought it for $410 million. Right. But if we spike inflation and rewind it back to what that was worth then, it's probably a billion. He paid half a billion. So even, okay, so let's just say it was a billion. Then he got three billion to sell a team. That's a I'm I'm taking a right, markup like he, that. Of course, of course. Remember, it's not just him who's who's cashing out. Like we said, there are other minority owners. He was a fifty percent stake. So if it's sold for four billion, he's getting two. Wow. He's getting two, and he paid half a billion. So you see how the numbers start to work backwards and you realize that like that gap in profit, it really is the profit that he made that we won't be able to, to, to really gather is what did he do during his ownership time with the money he made outside of the franchise's value? Like I said about the season ticket revenue. And we all know that he was one of those guys who wasn't always apt to spend back on salary. That was part of the reason why they had mm-hmm. issues with Joe Johnson and I believe with um, Amari Stoudemire. And I mean, Amar Sotomayor had a double-edged sword. You know, they didn't believe his knees could hold up and they also didn't feel like he was going to be worth the contract, mm-hmm. any contract that they offered him. But th- there are instances like that. Like, I think it, I think it was an issue with, with um, even Steve Nash at the time. The, the Phoenix Suns have had issues with paying players from time mm-hmm. to time with Robert Sarver as the ownership, on top of all yes. the other stuff that was involved in the investigation. But we're going to pivot off of that. We just wanted to acknowledge the fact that, you know, the Phoenix Suns are now going to be under new ownership. And it's going to be interesting to see how NBA teams conduct themselves knowing that that type of money is out there for the value. Who's going to be the next owner to bail? Um, right now, it looks like the Cavaliers are up 20 on the Bucks in the fourth quarter. Is Giannis sitting? Mm-hmm. Shout out to the Warriors. They valiantly are fighting back from a, what was it, a 91 to 40-something <laughs> deficit. Yeah. They're now only down 30 going into the fourth quarter. Huh. 61? I think it was Let me go to the box score. I don't think they had sixty one and a half, bro. No, no, no. They had um they had fifty one. They had fifty one. So it was ninety one fifty one. Oh by forty. Yeah. Which pretty much the same thing they doing now. Well, I mean, like you said, like like Elijah said, I cursed them, so my bad, bro. It's all good. No, I mean that's good. It don't matter to me. Let them. Move. And they're also, and they're also 
terrible on the road. The, the Warriors are three and three yes. on the road. So with or without Steph, it was going to be a, a dog fight to win on the road, period. Um, I don't want to speak on their demise because I feel like that's just no, nah, it is talk. what it is. But yeah, no, you I had, at least uh, have to let them be no, Giannis the team play. that I cheer for before I get involved. Yeah, Giannis had 40, Giannis had 45 and 14. The only problem is he was the only one to show up. Everybody else, you had Brooke Lopez with the second points. Um, nobody else, Jeru, Jay Ru Holiday, he um, he had nine, Grayson Allen had six. The game's um, over? this is the final. What, yeah, one six, one fourteen. Oh, uh huh. Philly won again too. Yeah. yeah, so it was just, which is crazy. This is another thing, real quick to talk about the Knicks winning eight straight. The problem is they didn't move up. They became the sixth seed and they stayed put pat because teams above them are on winning streaks also. But they've been able to. Well, no, the only team no, they got distance from. During is Atlanta. They got distance on Atlanta. They got distance on Miami because Miami yeah. in their last ten was six and four. The Knicks are the Knicks are eight and two. So that's a two game spread. They gained three games on Atlanta because Atlanta was only five and five. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but when you think about Philadelphia, is technically they the they are seventeen and twelve while the Knicks are eighteen and thirteen. But this Philadelphia has won five straight. Brooklyn, which is nineteen and twelve. They're, they want so it's kind of like, all right, you're in the sixth seed, Knicks. Even after the Knicks had won four straight, they were in the sixth seed. So those extra four well, we wins. We all know that the, the sixth seed is prestige. You want to be at least the sixth seed in the playoffs. Of course. The playoff hunt. That's a pivotal position. If you're anywhere below the sixth seed, that means you're, you're talking about playing. And if you can avoid the playing game, I think that that's become another feather in the cap for a team's level of success. So mm-hmm. the Knicks are able to at least hold the six seed because there were there was a time earlier on where, you know, the playoffs weren't necessarily something we felt like they could smell. So let's let, I mean, right now the Knicks were they only down five with like six minutes to go. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're making a comeback. We'll see. But they gotta just they gotta build okay, on the Warriors lighting. look like they're down forty again because now it's one oh one to one forty one on my screen. Yeah, man. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah. They got well. They got well. One one thirty nine. But that's just probably just a matter of a you know a click of a highlight. But now it's again. But see, the thing about it is, and we've we've said it before, is the Warriors being so heavy with the starters and having a a poor bench. So you know, but again, I think like I was talking to somebody. Um, yeah, the, this actually, I think, is going to help them the same way it helped them a couple of years ago because some of those bench players last year they would have played pivotal minutes for them in the playoffs because they had got time. They got some reps in. So Golden State is, again, depending on how long Steph is out. Obviously, obviously they said months. They said months? That's crazy. At least a month. He he, That's he um they're going they're going the non surgical heal heal your shoulder on its own route. Oh, and it's his left and it's left and it's his left shoulder, which is non shooting okay. shoulder. So which is which okay shoulder. Oh, so obviously the weight bearing and what he's going to be able to do on it. Listen, 
when, when you when you hurt a shoulder, we saw what happened when Lamar Odom had it, when Kobe Bryant had it. Um, quite a few prominent NBA players have had it, and that year that they had it, even if they still play, it, it affects you, but it doesn't keep you off the floor. So if there's a guy who can make do with it, I definitely would say that Steph's in that category. But mm-hmm. it's a matter of how quickly they can get him back on the floor because they were one game below 500 or whatever the case may be with him playing most of the games. So without him, they don't stand really much of a competitive chance based on how they're currently playing. I know they came out last game and Jordan Poole put on the show and they were able to win, but he's just simply not at that level that someone like Steph is at. And it takes, no. it, it takes, it's, it's hard to be at Steph with Steph's at. I mean, it's impossible outside of being Steph to be at Steph's level. If you're not yeah. Steph, you're not going. You're not going to replicate that game in and game out. No, and of again, course. Steph is at the tail end of his prime where he can still, you know, wake up, hop out of bed, and have have the battery power to pull those things off. I think in the next couple of years, he's going to go into that mode where the switch is not going to be something he can control. So, it's going to be interesting to see how this season plays out. If it's going to continue with the trend it's at with Golden State not making the playoffs, that's going to make the Western Conference extremely open. And I would be hard-pressed to, you know, favorite any other team from the West winning winning the NBA championship. If the Warriors don't make it back to the finals, I, I can't say that there's a West team. Even though I'm big on Denver, I don't see them being able to cut down the nets, you know? so Yeah, I see this. I mean, again, this is why teams are going to have to call for Siakam. Because I can see, he does see. I, I I would like him on a team like Memphis, but he kind of doesn't fit them. But I still, I still, I still kind of like just to see. They just need to get Desmond Bain healthy. I yeah. think that the way and they Memphis need a third scorer though. They need a third scorer. They may need it, but then uh, they we, need a third scorer because we've seen them in the playoffs. If they go and get it, if we if we, if they go and get it, that's when we jump on these mics and we say that they're they're trying to. Go all in. Until yeah. then, we're we're just. It, it looks like they're enjoying what they're able to do as yeah. currently constructed. So okay. that's got them the second best record in the conference. So it's like, you know, it ain't broke. We don't really got to fix it. But at the same time, if we get to a level where we feel like we can't get to the next level, a lot of these discussed at the very beginning of the season are going to start to become available, and it's going to be for the low. You know, so I can see Memphis looking at some of their pieces. Some of those pieces is playing like, yeah, I know I ain't going to be here soon. You know, I don't know which one, but they've they've got a collection of, of young talent that they can, you know, polish and sign up. It, um, No, nah, he's not there anymore. Where did they – Uh, is – Winslow, he got moved to – is he on Portland? He's in Miami. He's in Miami. Miami. No, he's Just in Portland. Winslow? He's, he's in Portland because uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander <laughs> – just hit a uh, game-winning baseline jumper in his face. So, yeah, I remember that. I saw it because I was like, why was he playing defense against SGA? And I was like, why didn't he have Grant on SGA for that extra height? And just to give a different um, look to it. But, no. Um, it was um, – yeah, it was on Wednesday. That just happened. Did it happen the um, – I want to say maybe – Today's Wednesday. Because you know they're playing right now, Monday right? Oh, I didn't know. That's wild that you said that. That that yeah, I remember what, what was it a pullback dribble into yeah. a um 
Yeah. And, and, and so you know how good he did the turn baseline. Oh, yeah. I was he had, playing a whole Probably. Yeah. He, you talking, yeah, it had to be the one where he hit the, he, he turned baseline off a double team and hit a fadeaway. I didn't realize that was over, um, over Justice. That's dope. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm happy to see Justice Winslow still be able to be on the court considering, you know, his draft situation, what happened with him in Miami, and then him going to Memphis, being hurt along the way. You know, these left-handed brothers, you know, they, they, they seem to occasionally really have to go through it just to be able to hold their spot in the league. So I, I always was a fan of his talent, and he went to Duke. So, you know, I always cheer for these Duke kids to, you know, find a situation that allows them to have a stable NBA life. But, um, yeah, Golden State situation, I mean – the West was open with, with how they were playing regardless. But with, with Steph being in the situation that he's in with the injury and how the Warriors look like they're going to be a possibly 500 team at the best while he's gone and they're not above 500 right now, it, it looks like they're going to be chasing the play-in game when he gets back. And with that being said, the formation of the West exists without them. The top tier of the West is going to be the teams that we're seeing now and in Denver is currently number one. When we last potted, it was New Orleans. And I feel like, you know, we're going to be dealing with a rotation of those four teams. Denver, Grizzlies, Pelicans, Suns. The Clippers might be able to string together enough wins to be a threat for the top four of the West. But I wouldn't be surprised if those teams currently right now remain to be the top four teams in the West. And of those four, do you pick any of them to win a title? No. No. You said New Orleans, Clippers. I didn't even say Clippers. Clippers is the, is the fifth oh. team. So Nuggets, okay. Grizzlies, Pelicans, Suns. Yeah, no. Nuggets, I'm good. Grizzlies, Pelicans, Suns. So obviously Phoenix has been there before. So if they won a the title, I don't think either of us would be surprised. We just don't think they can do it. Is that fair to say? Yeah. If they, because remember, a team that gets back to the finals, sometimes they play different and better. Or sometimes they, they do what Portland did and just lose to a different version of another team. Because remember, they did that back-to-back when they lost to the Pistons and then to um, Michael Jordan. But um, I, I really do think that like we're looking at an Eastern Conference NBA champion. And the last time we had one was Toronto. And Boston got the Time Lord back. And it looks like he's going to be okay. He doesn't look like he lost anything and that he actually may be fully healthy. I think integrating him is probably why they had some of the issues they had on that Western road trip where the only team they really dog walked was the Lakers. But they're still uh, – uh, they, they still – they still – who ain't been what? Who ain't been letting the Lakers get, get their fair share? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's not even possible for y'all now. When we talked about on the podcast, you talked about the Lakers being a 500 team. It's impossible now to be 500 before Christmas. Yeah. You, oh, you thought I was going to slide by? What am I trying to slide by? It's no, evident. They're 13 and 17. How okay. many more games before the All-Star break? Oh, before, before the Christmas? All-Star break. No, no, oh, no, no we, before... said we said Christmas. Yeah, we said Christmas. Yeah, yeah, we said Christmas. Yeah, we said it was going to be a fire sale. Well, obviously, there's only, there's, only, there's only four days left till Christmas, and I, they yeah. play on Christmas against the Mavs. Exactly, and we so and even we if might they have LeBron play, they play the Kings tonight in about ten minutes, and I expect with how the Kings have been playing, shout out to Mike Brown, 
you know, yeah. one of the regular season coaching MVPs because that's what he's always been. So also a former Lakers coach. Yeah, a regular season. Oh well, when he coached the Lakers, he he didn't he fare well for him. But yeah, it was a wrap. Oh, I mean, his best, not his best, but his best records as a head coach all occurred with courtesy of LeBron James. So it's just gonna be wrong uh-huh. with that. So him beating LeBron James with Sacramento won't be a surprise if LeBron is even playing tonight because they took the night off against Phoenix. And um, Pat Bev decided that when he caught an N1 against Chris Paul down 20, he was going to remind Chris Paul that he was too little. And that went viral. I think that was hilarious. Shout out to Pat Bev for always finding a way to be an antagonizer. Even in the most compromising situations, you, you find a way to to, to – ruffle feathers and inspire competition. But I think he's the inspiration for guys like Alvarado in, on the Pelicans. You know, a lot of these new new era agitators, they ain't scared. Mm-hmm. And I like it. I like it. I like that Alvarado really pisses CP3 off. I like that. Yeah. I like that little nasty rivalry that they got going. New Orleans and, and, and Phoenix are chasing each other in, in the Western Conference race for, for, for the best record. Three and four. One game separating them. So th- that's a new rivalry, and they don't get to play again for the rest of the year. Yeah, whoever made they that already completed their season messed series. up. Oh, no, because, well, yeah, because I think they saw the playoff series, and I don't know. I, you know that there's a shift towards getting Zion on national television. So yes. in all likelihood, in all likelihood, New, New Orleans is probably going to be playing quite a few Eastern Conference teams towards the end of the season because, you know, the Eastern Conference teams give you that – that um, prime time slot. So mm-hmm. a team like Phoenix, who I'm sorry, I don't know if they score well on, on TV ratings. I, I doubt it. It's not to say anything about their talent, but it's just like the Phoenix Suns, I, I don't know them to be a national draw. You've got the Pelicans, who've got Zion as a draw, and you've got Memphis, who's got Jaws a draw. And, you know, Jokic, he, he's a draw because he's the reigning MVP. So those three teams are in a position to get slapped. Did you see Jeff Green? Oh, did Yo, you see Jeff Green last turning night? Turning back the clock, Jeff Green. Jeff Green. Oh, man, he dunked on. Who's who's he dunked on again? I don't even remember. But he caught a body, and he and he gave him the Statue of Liberty. Statue of Liberty with no hesitation. You pulling it up? No, I forgot who he dunked on. I was trying to look to see real quick. Um. Yeah, he caught a nice body, but there's Denver. Like I said, eventually you won't be able to ignore me. You won't be able to ignore me, man. I mean, with Jeff Green Denver, dunking on people like that, yeah. Denver Western Conference Finals. I I just feel like they have. A wow, new- Randall just shot an air ball layup. It's about to end the game. <laughs> Randall. Randall layup, son. He can't even look for the foul. He was wide open. Wow. Wow. Layup. Shot the ball. I want to say maybe over the anticipating content. No, it looked like maybe for his sake, he could say he lost the ball, but he could have just, yeah, it was bad. It's bad. Okay. Well, the Knicks is down four with 40, with 35 seconds to left. Um, down four. Um, Van Vliet got the ball, made his first free throw. They down five now. Thirty-five seconds to let go. So it's a, yeah, it's a pretty much, it's a dub. 
But it is what it is. Um, I mean, eight game streak. Yeah, but you, you had an opportunity. You had the opportunity to win the game. You were in the game. You, you it was competitive. And that's, you just, you, and, and that's all. And that's all you can hope for every night. Is that you or you just hope you can make another another um another uh. You know what I mean? Wait, Start wait, up another what, street. What is it you got here? Where, where, where are you projecting this New York Knicks team now? Now, now that you now that you've tasted winning, where, y'all are currently in the. Sixth I think seed. when I'm looking at when I'm looking at the Knicks, a six C is 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 realistic for them. You know, I mean, I don't see them. I don't see them surpassing like Cleveland. I don't surpass them. I don't see. I say the. I say. I mean, fifth. I mean, it depends. See, I think six. I had them in the playing game. They could be escaping be the top six team. I think that's a win for the season. But when I see all these other teams that have holes, I just don't see the Knicks overcoming that because you need. Are the Knicks uh, really? Are the Knicks really not playing above their head? If when you look up in the standings, no, they they are overachieving. Okay, cool. They are all. But the thing about it is, when you overachieving and you look at what other teams are doing, you say, "Well, hey, wait a minute. They could, they could get, they could get a couple more." You know what I mean? Like, oh, you get greedy now. No, but I'm just saying. At this point, it's like you're you're able to develop a an eight game winning streak. Now, if you lose tonight, you just have to now turn around and start winning again because the Knicks are the type of team that okay, you wheeled off eight wins. And the, how you lose this game tonight could oh it could be the start of a four game losing streak. Okay, all the good you just okay. did, erases. Okay, so so now let's let's look at the anatomy of their eight game win streak. The eighth game in a row that they won, they beat the Warriors. Yeah, minus Steph Curry. Yeah, but we the seventh you game know. in a row. The seventh uh-huh. game in a row. We're just gonna talk about who they beat and by how much. Okay, got gotcha. Seventh game in a row, they beat the Pacers by three. Mm-hmm. The sixth game in a row, they beat the Bulls by 23. Mm-hmm. Then, prior to that, they beat the Bulls by eight. They beat the Kings by 13, the Hornets by 19, the Hawks by what looks like 50, because my math ain't perfect. It's 24, though. Mm-hmm. And the Cavs by 11 to start the streak. So if you go quality wins, you say Cavaliers, Hawks, because those are two playoff teams. Uh-huh. You say Kings, because that's a playoff team. And Pacers. So the only game where I feel like they overachieved was versus the Cavs. And tonight, losing to the Raptors, a team that's just outside of the playoffs, I think that's a setback. Not a big one, but it's a well, reflection that's what I said. of it depends on what, they what do. you spoke to. Mm-hmm. So you lost at home. But see, now game comes in on Friday night. You get the Bulls team coming into New York Friday night. So you have the opportunity. The Bulls. You have the opportunity. No, but again... This is, but again, teams come in, players come into New York and they see the bright lights, big city, they play different. So 
Because Siakam finished the game with 52 points, a career. So when you let Siakam score 52 and your Man. team loses by what, – what was the Knicks end up losing by seven? They end up losing by seven. It, it means something. So that's what I'm saying. It, Man, it could Siakam be, gave Randall 52 and got him. Because it, it didn't also – you followed it. On Friday is against the Bulls at home. Then you play Christmas morning against Philadelphia. Mm. So, uh, like, I have to be careful because that's what I'm saying. They got to be careful because when this happens, you got you got the Bulls, then you got uh, Philly, and then you go you fly out to Dallas, and then you start. Then you play the Spurs. Then you do that whole. Was that? Then you play the Rockets. Oh, they play. Go to that game. Maybe not. We'll see. I don't know. Maybe lunch. So they have. A, they got. They got to eat free lunch. Yeah. No, you have to. But I'm. What I'm saying is, you have to take advantage of these games. If team. If team. So a team has to win, right? And Warriors. So the are, Warriors. Warriors. Final score: one forty-three to one thirteen. Go ahead. Yeah. No, but I'm saying for the Knicks, you have to. You have to. On these, the way the schedule set up, if the schedule mm-hmm. and the, the, the teams and the caliber of the teams you're playing are not that good, you got and beat those teams because when you finally play the big, the better teams, you don't want to you end need up to have losing. A of of wins to insulate yourself from those type of games. I agree with exactly. you. Exactly. The Knicks have to get fat off of the teams that are at or below their current talent. Or, or playing level. So yeah. losing to Toronto is a setback, especially in the way that you described it, where one player goes off for 52 points and you only lose by, what, six, you said? Seven. Or whatever the case may be. So that means that that was a game that could be won. That's a winnable game. Well, and no, so the Knicks had – Yeah, and the Knicks the, – no, I'm saying the Knicks um, ended up with 16 turnovers and Toronto only having four. So that's a that's another issue when you have yeah, you gotta take care of the ball. You gotta take care of the basketball. So, and especially especially when you're not creating. So you got. Yeah, I mean, gotta, but there's some things that. that that came to that, that that seemed to be revelations during the streak. Um, one of the things that I noticed is that uh, they were giving more playing time to Grimes. Mm-hmm. And he was out this game. Yeah. So. I think that also is a reflection of their performance. You, you you develop some chemistry and you get on a roll, and then a guy who's a part of that is not in the lineup. It can it can be a setback. So hopefully he gets back, and like you said, they can resume winning ways. Winning eight games in a row is great, but you want to continue to win eight games out of ten. That's mm-hmm. the that's the ideal. You want it. You want oh, you want to win yeah, ten that's... out of ten, but you want to definitely be in that 80th percentile as a as a. Um, as a basketball team, because that puts you in a position to be in a high position. And the way the East is configured now, every team that plays at 500 in the East is going to be in the play-in. If you have a 500 record in the East, you are likely to be playing for the play-in. So the farther they can get from 500, the more likely they are to hold the water, which is that succeed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I hope they can do that. Um, I think that Philadelphia game is going to be one – Definitely worth watching. Yes, yeah, I mean it's the first game to slip. 
to set off the day games for Christmas Christmas Day. So yeah. And and again, Philadelphia, New York, in New York, that's gonna be, you know, that's gonna be a game to watch. Um, but again, this is a division game. But you also have uh, a, a teams who are separated a game. Mm-hmm. So that could be for, depending on how the rest of their schedule goes before they meet, that could be, you could be playing for the fifth seed. You know? Do you think, do you think that Brooklyn is going to catch Cleveland? You think Cleveland's going to be able to hold the three, the three seed? Where do you see? Because right now, like I said, you got Milwaukee and Boston at the one and two. You got Cleveland and Brooklyn at three and four. Do you think this is something we're going to have to speculate? Because remember, Cleveland is the outlier. We did know that they went to the playoffs last year. So I would not allow you to rule them out of playoff contention when we spoke at the beginning of the season. But we didn't have them this high. But they Mm -hmm. said for real. So do you take them out of the top three teams in the East? Can they be removed? Is Brooklyn going to be able to be that good? They're only a game... A game and a half out. Can Brooklyn catch and, and hold on to the three seed or, and possibly keep rolling? Can Brooklyn get themselves into the top of the conference? Is that possible with the team that you see them playing with now? I don't. I mean, I, I still don't see it. Good. I mean, they don't have Ben Simmons, obviously, uh, but and you have Katie and Kyrie who can ben go. Ben Simmons is not playing? Uh, it, let me say this. When he does play, it seems like he's not playing, so – I will. I will say that, of, and that's the beauty and misery of his game is that he can be so, yeah. so impactful without being seen, and also be so unimpactful uh, while being seen. Well, he had ten points and eight and eight assists. But again, when you're up, when you're up by forty something, you can't really look to see. This that's not a measure of if he had a get a decent game or not because. Everybody, everybody. He, he played the least amount of minutes out of the starters, him and Joe Harris. So yeah, and then when you have there, nine was, guys yeah, in double figures, in double figures. it would have been everybody that played in double figures. Um, a couple of guys. Yeah, he had, gave you a typical Ben Simmons night. He had way too many fouls than he should have in nineteen minutes. How you have four personal fouls, eight assists, and four rebounds, and only one steal, no blocks. So you know another. One of those, like you said, like hard to explain Ben Simmons nights where he was present, but his impact on the game can't really be can't really be quantified, especially in a blowout. Um, mm-hmm. KD, he was nine for seventeen and only had twenty three points. So, like you said, so many people scored in double digits. It just looked like the Warriors was having auditions for the layup line out there. To just be honest with you, I mean, Seth Curry had nineteen minutes and he dropped twelve. Sumner had 16. He only missed three shots. And then remember, in the first half, the Nets missed four total shots and scored 91 points. So this game was over. Yeah, that's insane to hear that. Team misses four shots and a half. And you have that's 91 insane. Points. That's insane. Well, remember the remember the other day when we uh, when I saw I forgot what team it was that scored 50 in the first quarter. We were like, yeah, Lee, like that's a, you know, at the a NBA, it's a different, NBA, it's a different league. Man. Yeah, it's a different league. There were because, times where where halftime scores were thirty four to thirty three. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's the nineties, and of course, things have progressed since then. And now, I would say, like the average halftime score is usually in the fifties, 
But we're getting to that point now where halftime scores are in the 60s and 70s, and then with a, with a case like this, you know, 91 points. Yeah. I mean, th- let's think about it also. When you is that a reflection on... of defense, or is that a reflection of how talented these guys are? Oh, it's what, a com- what would you I think it's a combination of the both. I think it's more so to say that uh, it's definitely a lack of defense because a lot of guys are getting open shots, you know, and when I'm watching NBA games, the way teams are playing defense, everything now in the NBA offensively is a skip pass. So if you're Wait. traditionally, huh? Pardon the interruption. The Brooklyn Nets scored 143 points. Kyrie Irving didn't play. Crazy. Right calf. I'm looking at the box score. Oh, and well, Clay, Clay Thompson didn't play. So maybe he could have been out there and gave him 30. No. no, so, no so so back to no. what you were saying. So the, the, the NBA that we're in now, where defense isn't as influential on the game as it once was, and offense seems to become overpowered. Yeah. Because if you look at a lot of the offensive sets, the offensive sets are drawn up to beat the skip pass. I mean, to, to beat the defensive. So when you're playing defense, you're, you're traditionally going to play in the paint, one foot in the paint, because you're, you know, a skip pass away. But a lot of offensive sets now are predicated to get the ball to that skip pass and let that person shoot a three or, or let that person do a pump fake and drive to the basket. Yeah, the two pass away. Style of defense where the secondary defender who's second pass away, like you said, is usually in the paint or in a help position to help off of a screen to stop the roller or to bump the roller or to meet the guy coming off of the screen to basically influence him to not be able to finish at the rim does lead to, like you said, the skip pass being a big time weapon. But I also believe that most NBA offenses are designed with the rotation concept where the whole idea is to run an action to make the defense overcompensate for a paint attack so that you can get a three. So you, you've got both of those elements playing into, and then you also have the propensity of the three-point shot. I wanted to approach this with hopefully, you know, our boy on the, on the podcast, but I'll, I'll wrap it up on this note. There was a time where, okay, I'm going to just say this. Do you know how many times Steph Curry has scored nine or more three-pointers in a game. In his career? In his career. How many times has Steph Curry hit nine or more three-pointers in a game? You could Google it and cheat it. Yeah, I feel, I, I, I'd rather I feel you like... just be accurate and, and, and see it for yourself rather than me tell you. Look it up if you can. You yeah, can I, pull it I, away I... From. Oh. How many times Steph has, has made nine or more threes? Did you find it? Hold on a second. I'm looking, I'm looking. 38 games, it says? How many times has Steph made nine or more three-pointers in a game? 
This says 38. 38. Unless you got unless you got a uh, a different stat. I'm sorry, change it to eight. Oh eight, okay. Which is but it sounds insane. Thirty-eight games and nine or more three pointers. That still sounds crazy. Which I'm scared because this might be over a hundred. Uh, He's the only player I, who's ever accomplished it in double digits. Is it 60, 69 games? He's done it more. Okay, wait. The total amount of people who have done it since 1970, 80 is 80 times. And he's got 69 of those 80? No, no. He's got 69 of those 80. Now, I don't know why your numbers are doing that to you. Um... So what do you have? Yeah, it is 69. 69. That was the number I was looking for. I thought I saw 70 when I pulled it up before. Because I looked up 8 and I looked up 9. And the reason why I brought it up is because when I went to the chart and saw the players that are on those lists, like, the first time somebody did it was like Dale Ellis in like 1989. Mm. And where we are now in 2022 where players are routinely hitting eight threes a game. Not just Steph, but Steph leads. But, and of course, he should because he's, like, the vanguard of that. Or, you know, like the pioneer. Mm-hmm. There's only 25 players who've made 10 or more threes in the game. But, anyway, long story short, the point is, the advent of the three-point shot has definitely boosted scoring to a level that is never – the NBA is never going to recover from it. I think the 200-point game is, uh, is upon us very soon. Mm-hmm. I think one Wait, have they teams... scored somebody scored two hundred in the All Star game yet? Yeah, in the All Star game they did it because I think like the, okay. the LeBron James game or one of those LeBron LeBron been in every All Star game for the past twenty years anyway. So me saying that don't help you identify it, but I'm pretty sure one of those games might have got the two hundred. Okay. Um, let me pull it up. I wasn't sure. I thought I thought it was. Um, I thought there were the last two games because because they did the um. The, what was it? The Elon rule. Um, they they prevented. Yeah, well, you it had from to happening. get to a number. Yeah, prevented it from happening. Um, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. But I I think teams have come close. I don't think anybody's gotten that. Okay, I'm about to tell you. In 2021 in New Orleans, it was 374 total points that they scored. That was the one where Anthony Davis had 52 and got the All-Star MVP. Um, it doesn't tell me what the uh, what the actual split. Oh, hmm. they scored a, in 2017. They scored the, the six points. So yeah, the fact that it's happening or close to happening in All-Star games is reflective of the fact that like. It, it's it's gonna be soon. One of these teams is gonna tank versus a team that's not playing, and we're gonna get one of them high school girls, high school <laughs> basketball scores. But on that note, we're gonna bring this episode of views from the, views to the wow. 
on that note, we're going to bring this episode of Views from the Clutch to a close. As always, I'd like to say thank you to our supporters, listeners, and subscribers. You can follow us on any of the podcasting platforms we're hosted on. You can reach us directly at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com, or you can tag us on social media at Views from the Clutch on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And on that note, I'm going to say peace. Peace.